Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mix for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, aka DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 3.4 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Adriana Mares, answered first by early career preventative cardiologist Dr. Deepika Gopal, and then by expert faculty Dr. Michael Wesley Milks. Dr. Milks is a staff cardiologist and assistant professor of clinical medicine at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center where he serves as the Director of Cardiac Rehabilitation and an Associate Program Director of the Cardiovascular Fellowship. He specializes in preventative cardiology and is a member of the American College of Cardiology's Cardiovascular Disease Prevention Leadership Council. Dr. Miltz, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Pleasure to be here. Again, so glad to have you join us, Dr. Miltz. Our question is as follows. While you're on holiday break visiting your family, Your aunt pulls you aside during the family gathering to ask a few questions about your 70-year-old uncle. He has hypertension, hyperlipidemia, type 2 diabetes mellitus, and moderate chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. His medications include fluticasone, salmeterol, teotropium, albuterol, lisinopril, simvastatin, and metformin. She is very concerned about his risk for heart disease as he has never had his heart checked out. She asks if the presence of COPD increases his chance of having heart disease. Which of the following statements would best answer her question? The answer choices are A. Systemic inflammation and oxidative stress caused by COPD promote vascular remodeling and a paradoxical anticoagulant state affecting all vascular types. B. Although chronic COPD is associated with increased cardiovascular events, Individual exacerbations have no impact on risk of cardiovascular events. C. Patients with mild to moderate COPD are 8 to 10 times more likely to die from atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease than respiratory failure. Or D. Cardiovascular mortality increases proportionally with an increase in forced expiratory volume in one second, also known as FEB1. Dr. Gopal, how would you answer this question? Adriana, I think that the best answer to this question is C. Patients with mild to moderate COPD are 8 to 10 times more likely to die from atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease than respiratory failure. 
Patients with COPD have a two to three-fold increased risk of cardiovascular events compared to age-matched controls when adjusting for tobacco smoking, as this is a risk factor for both disease processes. This can partly be explained by common risk factors, including aging, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and low physical activity. And interestingly, cardiovascular mortality increases proportionally with a decrease, not increase, in forced expiratory volume, or FEV1. There is a 28% increase in cardiovascular mortality for every 10% decrease in FEV1. Additionally, COPD exacerbations and related infections are responsible for a four-fold increase in cardiovascular events, making answer choice B not correct. COPD has several effects on the vasculature, which creates a procoagulant, not anticoagulant effect on all vascular beds. This is associated with increased risk of cognitive impairment due to cerebral microvascular damage, as well as increased risk of ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke. So the main takeaway is the presence of COPD, even mild to moderate, has a significant impact on the incidence of non-fatal coronary events, stroke, and cardiovascular mortality, which is mediated by inherent disease process and progression, as well as risk factors, including smoking, aging, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia, and systemic inflammation altering vasculature, creating a procoagulant effect. The ESC guideline gives a class one indication level of evidence C to investigate for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and associated risk factors in patients with COPD. So Dr. Meltz would love to get your opinion on this. Understanding that above correlation that we just talked about, what kind of screening do you recommend that we do in patients with COPD for ASCDD risk? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Gopal. I really agree with your responses, and I think it's been a great discussion. And just to reiterate, COPD is certainly an important medical condition that those of us trained in internal medicine, of course, it spurs our brains to gravitate towards the morbidities of lung disease complications, but we really should not forget the importance of this condition and its implications for atherosclerotic risk. So we're reminded that COPD, it's an inflammatory condition with ASCVD association, as you pointed out, much greater uh, beyond the magnitude even predicted by that shared risk factor of tobacco abuse. Certainly, we know that inflammation is important in terms of atherosclerotic progression from trials such as Jupiter with resubostatin, as well as Cantos with canakinumab, among many others. So again, as you mentioned, with patients with COPD have at least double the risk, if not more, of ASCVD, even while adjusting for the burden of tobacco use. So it really speaks to the additional inflammatory aspects here. The mechanisms of this are probably quite diverse. Uh, We know that COPD, in addition to atherosclerosis, also is associated with atrial arrhythmias and ventricular arrhythmias. So the 2021 ESC prevention guidelines make a specific distinction about COPD as a clinical condition in which deliberate or systematic, as opposed to simply opportunistic, ASCVD risk estimation should be performed even going so far to say that all patients with COPD should be investigated for cardiovascular disease. So in patients with potential angina or equivalent symptoms, it's worth noting that COPD can affect the diagnostic performance of certain cardiac testing modalities. The hyperinflation, as we know, those of us who interpret echocardiograms can hinder the acoustic windows to visualize the heart as well as cause the heart to be a little bit more closely opposed to the diaphragm Uh, which can result in worsening diaphragmatic attenuation artifacts in our SPECT exams. 
Also, if an exercise protocol is obtained, high levels of heart rate achievement can be challenging in those with pulmonary causes of dyspnea on exertion. So some important considerations really with COPD, both from a mechanistic standpoint as well as a diagnostic one. Thank you, Dr. Melx. That was really interesting and a good discussion. I have one more question for you. How does the procoagulant effect of COPD play into your decision about maybe starting aspirin therapy in someone with ASCVD risk as well that you may have otherwise not considered aspirin? You know, that's a really good point. And I know aspirin really, it's very much uh, a topic of discussion in, in many patients who come to my office, even ones who have had uh, heart attacks and coronary stents uh, even ask whether they should continue aspirin. And we have to clarify with them uh, the distinction between primary and secondary prevention. But I think COPD is an important condition in terms of elucidating any subclinical disease, like from coronary artery calcification. A lot of these patients may have undergone a low-dose chest CT for lung cancer screening. And so there's kind of that opportunity to evaluate the coronary arteries in that way. Uh, We know that the ACC-AHA guidelines suggest that if our calcium score is greater than or equal to 100 Agatston units or greater than or equal to the 75th percentile, then that is a very strong indication to upwardly revise uh, the risk estimate as it relates to a statin treatment threshold. So again, you know, primary prevention aspirin is not for everyone, but not only the prothrombotic, but also just the burden of coronary calcification that we can see in COPD I think, can push us towards aspirin treatment in a lot of situations. One resource that I would direct interested listeners to is a paper, the 2018 Greenland et al. from Jack. And this was an analysis of some MESA normative data suggesting that patients with a calcium score exceeding 100, regardless of their 10-year risk, actually, in those patients, the number needed to treat for aspirin may be much lower than the number needed to harm from excess bleeding events. So that might be a subgroup Uh, in which primary prevention aspirin could make sense. So many of whom uh, may have COPD. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Mill. Thank you. Great discussion.